Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses, looking at verses 5 through 7 this morning. Could have entitled this sermon many different things, but ultimately it comes down to a godly church, and we'll be talking about uh, relationships, church relationships. Was once said, wherever two or three or more gather in his name, there will be conflict. <laughs> the object is to try to avoid conflict. Now, last week when we were together, we looked at uh, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. We realized that it was against the backdrop of persecution that pastors had to navigate the waters of uh, ecclesiastical business, if you will, that the church had to function within this, this environment. And I made a connection with the world in which we live today is not friendly towards us. In fact, a lot of uh, regulations now coming down prohibit the use of the name of Jesus and other things. But the fact is we're there today. And I just watched a show last night uh, before bed and I... It, it, it was like, and this is back in Abraham Lincoln, it's like it's the same stuff, just different time. So the pastor has to navigate, and the church has to navigate this. And one thing, one thing we need to keep in mind is that as we try to navigate the culture in which we live, we cannot have division among us. We cannot have issues of conflict. The fact is we have to be united and we have to be willing uh, at times to say not my way but your way. And uh, so this is a this is a good reminder for us and again this sermon series was based on my uh, earlier in the month of October I attended a, a pastor appreciation luncheon which is where I got this yeti. I think Yeti is formed for Bigfoot, if I remember right, so it's kind of that way. But anyway, let's look at what Peter says here this morning. First of all, we have to learn to live together. Learn to live together. This is a very fascinating, I'm always fascinated when I, when I look at the languages. It's kind of a template that I use every week. Languages, what scholars say, and then how I am directed. There's a lot of ink spilt on this, and I'm going to try to decipher this for us the best I can. Uh, likewise, you who are younger, this is verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders. This is the crux of a lot of ink spilling, which is what I would call ink spilling. So let's, let's kind of look at this explanation of younger and elder. One explanation is that uh, it referred to lower clergy in the church, that he says, you elders uh, oversee the flock of God, do it with a godly attitude. And so some view this as lower clergy in the church. Now, some would say, well, what about Timothy? Well, if you look at Timothy, Timothy was young, and it was Paul's spiritual son in the faith. But when you look at Timothy you can also see that he was probably in his 30s, particularly maybe mid-30s, when the Apostle Paul was addressing him. So uh, 
being, okay, I'm going to say this, being 62, <coughs> being 62, being 30 is young, but I tell you what, I wouldn't go back and do the 30s again. It was bad, but I don't think that's right. I don't think he's referring to younger clergy. A, a second option, which is better, is it's particular group in the church that needs to submit to elders. Now, this right here, 1 Peter 5, 1, I don't think that's the term for elders here. And as we go through this, the last option, or at least one of the options, which I think is not good at all, and I'll put it up here for you. Younger means all church members who are not elders. So in other words, they just say, okay, you have the elders, the the presbyteros, uh, the elders who are pastors of the church, and then you have everybody else. But the problem is that doesn't answer the question of the Greek word younger. So when you look at this word younger, it's the word naos, and it per means pertaining to have, having been in existence for only a short time. It can refer to recent converts, but mostly uh, it refers to people who are young. I know one of the things that, uh, and you would look at it and go, wow, all that, and you know it was younger. Um, I, this is kind of an open-ended thing. But one of the things that the church needs to focus on is the younger people. And some of the things that we do as a church, we need to realize that our culture is changing. The way that we do ministry is changing. I'm aware of those changes. But these refer to younger people. And, and sometimes in churches, younger people do not get a voice. And we have to be careful with that. Presbyteros, which is the word that the Apostle Paul used for elder, but when you look up this definition of it, it refers to pertaining the older of two objects. So the Apostle Paul is saying those who are young in the church and those who are older in the church that are not elders. He already said you are overseers of the church. Now Peter is looking at two distinct groups in the church those who are advanced in years and those who are young in years. It's very clear to me. So <laughs> I think the image here is the people who are older. But ultimately, it's this. This is the issue. And maybe not as old as this lady here. You could maybe put mine, my picture in there. And a young guy or a young person talking to me. One of the things that makes this particular, particular issue difficult is because when you're young, you have a lot of enthusiasm. And when you are old, sometimes we have a tendency to get stuck in our ways. And in, in, in fact, the younger mindset would be something like this. The older people are out of touch. Right? Out of touch. And you know what? To be perfectly honest with you, I think that's right at times. And that is a valid point. 
Secondly, older people are stuck in their ways. Try this next Sunday. I know everybody sits, I can pretty well tell who's missing by where you sit. Just look, just mix it up next week, right? Because we, you know, we get, we get stuck in our ways. It is true. Older people get stuck in their ways. Um, I was actually insulted. Uh, back when I was in the, at, at Lincoln in, in the doctorate program, I was giving a, uh, well, for a better term, lecture to master students. And I used PowerPoint. And it was in form of a sermon. Dr. Sackett was in there with me. And after my, I don't know, I want to say it was 30 minutes, but it was probably longer than that. After I was finished, Dr. Sackett said, do you have anything to say? And this one kid raised his hand. This kid's probably 12 plus nothing. I don't know, but um, he very young, very young really gifted kid, but he said this. He said, wow, I'm really surprised you're that good with media. You know, kind of like I just set up out of a coffin type, type thing. Dr. Sackett, my advisor, looked at the kid and said, that was rude. Because the implication was, I'm old, there's no way I know how to use PowerPoint. And the kid said, he said, I am so sorry. I did not mean to say it. It came out wrong. And, and we all just kind of laughed and said, yes, lightly. <laughs> um, so one of the things is younger members sometimes have zeal. And let me just say this. I and the ones who are in my ballpark Sometimes we need to listen to the younger ones. Sometimes we need to listen to them. Not like, oh, yeah, yeah, but I, I, I know much better than you do. I've lived a long time, and that's true. So younger, younger ones sometimes get so excited about things, and they're enthusiastic. Please don't ever hurt that. Older members, please don't ever squelch that. Don't ever squelch that. You have to understand something. The youth are the next generation of us. And therefore, we must encourage them. Maybe harness that, but never squelch them. Never say, no, we can't do that. Because sometimes they see a lot better than we do. And we need to start listening better to the younger people. And so here you have these two groups in the church... Yes, the older ones have more experience in life with Christ. Um, and actually, I got into the mindset. I actually did. And, I, and when I went to this, uh, this Pastor Appreciation Month uh, at, uh, at the Christian school, I saw a young guy walk up there, and I go, oh, this is going to be bad. I... He had a ponytail, and I'm like, he's going to talk about the friendly, approachable Jesus, but that boy was on it. In fact, I would have sat under his preaching any day of the week. He was on it, and God spoke to me and said, listen, 
Mr. All-Truth Pastor. There are others out there, and they are young. And I really needed to hear. Actually, I, I'll tell you this. I needed to be corrected. It's true. I've seen even older pastors that can't, well, I don't want to get too bad, but I've seen older pastors that, that can't preach a lick. And so anyway, we've got to be careful. As we get older, we've got to guard against where we've never done it that way in our church, and we are not going to start doing it that way. So we can never hurt the younger ones. But you younger ones, you need to understand something that older people do have a place in church. They do have wisdom. They do have knowledge. They have spent time with Christ. And so if you're a young person and you have an idea, yes, let's try that. But also let's try it in this type of an environment so that you can learn from the older members. So this is what he's saying. Learn to live together. And he focuses on this relationship first. Now, here's, here's the command. The command is in 5a. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject, oh boy, here we go, be subject to the elders. Hupotasso, hupotasso means to obey the directive, and I'm just reading literally from the Greek translation, to obey the directive of someone in charge. Now, or older. You sometimes get frustrated, they sulk, they complain, and they cause problems. I get that. I understand that. But here's the thing to you younger members out there. If you can't obey an older person that you can see, how can you obey a God you cannot see? It becomes a very difficult proposition. So when you are younger, yes, if you're a young person, come share with me ideas. I'm always open. But also realize that you still have to work within the confines of ministry. And we need to be careful. So the question is, which I asked to myself as I look at this, is, okay, does this mean to always obey elder members regardless? Is it just a blank slate? Um, I, I told you about my previous church, and I told you about the ungodliness and the ungodly attitudes that I saw there, and I walked out. And, of course, you guys are the benefactors, or maybe not the benefactors. I don't know. But um, I, I don't think this is just a blank check that you just, you can, you can do whatever you want to do. I would say if an older member is acting irresponsible, if an older member is trying to push something that is not of God, if, uh, if, if they're very, uh, deviating from the Scripture, anything that violates the Scripture, I don't think younger members are obligated to obey that. This is not a blank, just do what you want. And, and I have seen sometimes in churches, and you know I love older members. I'm actually one of them now. Didn't used to be, but I, I feel like I am because when I get up on Mondays and Tuesdays, I'm like, oh, gosh. 
it takes me a few minutes to get, and particularly after we camp out, like a big 10-mile walk is really bad. Which I was really glad, Travis, when we both got out of the car at Chick-fil-A, and, and you, I go, oh, and you guys, oh, I'm hurting too. So I didn't feel so bad. But we need to guard against getting stuck in our ways, not listening to the younger members of the church. D. Edmund Hybert, um, he writes this, and I, I think it's really, really important. The young with their eager energies. My goodness, tonight we're going to have trail life in this. I'm like, man, I wish I had one-tenth of their energy. Should guard against the impulse to thrust the age into the background and insist on their own ideas or ways in face of the more mature views of the elderly. That's good, that's good advice. And we, a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated the, found, the founding of this church. And so here's, here's the issue. If we as the older ones don't allow the youth to participate, we are in danger of isolating and losing them. So that means we need to be willing to step back a minute and say, wait a minute, does this violate the teachings of Christ? Does it violate the Bible? If it doesn't, let them do it. Because they are the next generation coming up. They will carry the banner. If statistics are true, I have about 15 years left. If statistics are true and the Lord willing. So I have to realize that there's a younger group coming along and we want to be able to pass the baton to them and say, carry the ball, it's your turn. And we should always encourage them. And yes, at the same time, younger members, you need to watch how you talk to older members. When I was a kid, it was always yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, sir, yes, sir. Right? Not, ugh. That is disrespect. And so we need, to, we need to, this is what he's saying, we need to learn to live together. Now, how we live together is that we serve with humility. Now, you're thinking, wow, he's got a long sermon. Not, not really. Five minutes of that was the video for... <laughs> this is the most important part here. This, what I'm getting ready to tell you, was eye-opening to me. And I've studied 1 Peter the entire book several times and I missed some things maybe it's come I've grown in my understanding but notice what he says here clothe yourself this is verse 5b clothe yourselves all of you Lottie Dottie and everybody the pastor the younger and the elders of the church those who are elderly those who are mid-age any age that you are this is for all of us. This is not an exclude. This doesn't exclude the pastor. This doesn't exclude the elderly. It doesn't exclude the young. He says, "Clothe yourselves, all of you, all of us, with humility, one to another." Incumbo omai, incumbo omai. That means to dress yourself. Paul used this terminology in Ephesians four twenty two. And 24, take off your old nature 
and put on your new nature. Clothe yourselves, meaning this is something that you have to put on. It is something that you put on every day. It's an infinitive, which means it continues. Daily, daily, daily. You put this humility on. That means when you first wake up in the morning, you say, I am going to clothe myself with humility. And particularly when you go into the church, you should stop at the door and you go, you know what? Humility. Consider others better than yourselves. That's the way to do it. I wonder, well, what would happen? What would happen in a church if everybody was considering others more important than themselves? Well, one of the problems with that is everybody's idea would get used and <laughs> becomes problematic. But the fact is that we're to put this on. He says, clothe yourselves with all humility. Tapeno prosune. Tapeno prosune. And that means to humble yourselves with a humble attitude without arrogance. You never walk in and go, you know what? That's not the right way to do it. And I've seen that. I've seen that in 33 years of pastoral ministries. I've seen people get so arrogant that you can't even talk to them. And that becomes problematic. Clothe yourselves with humility one for another. One one thing I think about humility and actually Schreiner made a comment about this that's why I put it up there uh, when Jesus washed the disciples feet he put a towel around him and clothed himself and then stooped down to wash his disciples feet as a sign of humility when I graduated uh, the doctor of ministry program, they gave me this on graduation day uh, as, as a reminder that I'm a servant. It really is a, a really good reminder to me, and it's in my office, and I look at it regularly, and it, and it reminds me that I am to serve. Servant leadership. It's very, very important. We need to be willing to say, you know what? And this is, this is important in what he's getting ready to say. That you get to a place in your life, whether it's on the praise team, whether it's on the hospitality team, whether it's on any team that we have, we have to lower ourselves. Not elevate ourselves, which is a real danger. And that we start serving one another with a humble spirit. You may have an agenda, that's fine. But the agenda should not be put forward as anger. And I've seen that happen on teams and committees through the years. Guy walks in, slams stuff down, and that's not, that's not right. We don't, we don't, that's not how we roll as believers. We humble ourselves. Uh, Schreiner Thomas Schreiner in his commentary writes this, when believers recognize that they are creatures and sinners, that's all of us, they are less apt to be offended by others. He goes on to make the argument that anytime there's sin in the body of Christ has to be dealt with and you don't err from that. But humility is the oil. I love this. Humility is the oil 
that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. Anytime we come into this church and we assemble together, it should be in an atmosphere of humility and love. Some of the comments I've had when visitors come to our church is they say that we're real friendly. Don't lose that. Don't ever lose that. We are a friendly group. We're a loving group. Please don't ever lose that. And the reason that we're not supposed to be prideful, this is, this is, this is awesome, what I'm getting ready to tell you. This, this, so if, you've, if you haven't been paying attention, now, the, now is the time. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is taught, Peter, this is taught throughout the scriptures. Old Testament, New, New Testament. Uh, pride leads to disgrace. This is true. Pride leads to disgrace. Because when you're prideful, everybody knows it. And they can see it, trust me. But with humility comes wisdom on how to deal with things. This is from Proverbs. All throughout, all throughout, God hates, one of the things in the Old Testament out of the seven that God hates is a proud look. So we need to be careful as we live our lives in community. We're, we're, we're talking here about community. So, that's in our relationship to one another. Serve with humility. But now in our relationship towards God. Notice again. And I think about when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Second is liken unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. There's always the cross. There's the dimension between us and God and us and man, each other, working together, forms the cross. So... Humble yourselves, listen to this, this is verse 6, this is very important. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. I rewrote this, not that I'm changing the Bible, but I, but I rewrote it in a paraphrased language. Let yourselves be humbled under the divine protection of God. Let yourselves be humbled under the divine protection of God. He's been hitting at humility. Have you noticed that? He's he set it up with the youngers and the elders and the pastors. And so he's hitting at this idea of humility and does it again here. Peter Davids. Um, he makes an interesting observation. God's mighty hand is a good biblical image, deeply rooted in the Old Testament. Yes, it is. It was this hand that delivered Israel from Egypt. And it was this hand that was behind his works in the New Testament. Mostly signs and wonders. And also anything that happened, it was all from the hand of God. So I want you to watch the language here. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You see this? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So that in due season, he may lift you up. Right here. This, this becomes important with what I'm getting ready to tell you. 
So here you have humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. I, I, I want you to get the image that you're under God's hand. That his hand is over you. That's protection, by the way. That is a sign of protection. So that at the proper time, God may exalt you. In the midst of the culture in which Peter wrote this, when it became extremely difficult to be a Christian, when it became extremely difficult to live in community with other believers, he is telling them pointedly, put yourselves under the hand of God. God is the one that protects you. God is the one that sustains you. God is the one that watches over you. And God is the one that keeps you. Jesus says, no man shall pluck you out of the hand of the Father. And he brings us to this point, this crucial moment here in chapter 5. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. It is impossible to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God when our lives are so based in pride. We place ourselves under our own hand and not the hand of God. This is a big one, and I never caught this until this week. Casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Epirito, epirito. To put the responsibility upon someone else. Watch the image here. This is beautiful. If you are under the mighty hand of God and you are living a life of humility, where you are considering others better than yourselves, when you are not causing problems in the church, when you are not divisive, when you have come under the hand of God, then you cast all of your anxieties on him. The image here is you say, I can't do this. Therefore, and that word, that only means give it to somebody higher, but it refers to throwing up and landing in the divine protection of God. Isn't that, isn't that neat? You're under the hand of God, and now whatever anxiety, whatever and that word means worry, fear, anxiety, heartache, all of those things. This is what you are doing as you're living your Christian life. You are throwing those problems up on a hand that you are already under. Think about that image this week. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about it. Right? That's not my deal. I've got a God who I am under, who has all the power, who has all the authority, who can change circumstances, who can change situations. I'm going to throw it up to him and let him have it. Anxieties. Marinia. A feeling of distress. In those moments, now I'm not trying to make this like, here God, but you know what I mean. You're already under the mighty hand of God. Throw it up and he'll catch it. I love that image. I didn't get that. 
And then I'm sitting there in my office and I go, I got it. <laughs> it's like, I don't know how many times I've preached through Peter, but I finally got that image. And it was like, it was like God saying, hello, McFly. <laughs> hello. I, it's been there the whole time, right? Listen to this. All of us in this room, all of us, how many of you have had anxieties this week? Good. Get the image. Live under here, throw it up, and hey, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm not going to try to crawl up and take it back. I'm just going to give it to him. Paul says this. You're not alone, by the way. I'm not alone. We all have anxieties, and we need to get over it. And the way we get over it is we throw it up. So, the Apostle Paul says this. This is awesome. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 11.28 And apart from the other things, there is daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That doesn't mean that you won't have anxieties, but I can bet you this, the Apostle Paul was turning it over and over and over every day. So look at the language here. Get dressed, get dressed with humility, and in your life throw everything up that's causing you, and it's just give it to him. Our problem is we like to try to climb the arm of God and take that back. This is an important quote. I'm going to leave it up here for a minute or two. This is a very important quote. Thomas Schreiner is exactly correct. And I'll show it to you. This is the most important quote I think I've ever put on a PowerPoint slide. And between God and Schreiner, I got it. Because I wasn't looking at, he writes this, the participle should be understood. The participle, the main verb in verse 6. Humble yourselves with the participle, casting all of your anxieties upon him. Seeing the relationship between the main verb or the main clause too. And the participle, casting all of your anxieties, is important because it shows that giving in to worry is an example of pride. That is connected perfectly. I went and looked it up. So when we are not humbling ourselves and we are not coming under the hand of God, we're saying, God, I've got this. I got it. And I'm going to worry about it. But I've got it. That's a form of not trusting God. That is a form of trying to handle things ourselves. No! We live under the mighty hand of God. And we just simply throw our issues up on him. His hand is big enough. And when we don't, and when we stay up late at night, can I get an amen? Yeah, I got some amens there. When we stay up late at night, it is a form of pride that must be emptied out. And we say, you know what? Here Here's, here's the issue. You either trust God or you don't. I either trust God or I don't. And when I don't, 
I'm telling God, don't worry, I've got this, even though I'm going to be on all types of anxiety medications. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not legitimate reasons for people to be on medications. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm talking here about just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it with God, and then they, they, the next day they're like picking it up. Instead of letting that go, you have to let go and give it to God. So in conclusion, let's learn to live with each other. Let's learn to love each other. Let's learn to listen to each other. Let's get rid of all pride that we have in our hearts. Just get rid of it. Let's serve each other with humility. And let's take our problems while we're under the mighty hand of God. Put it up there and leave it with I love that. I love that. I love that. I, I, I couldn't wait to get to the last part of the sermon because I love that so much. Next week we'll, we'll continue in the series from 1 Peter chapter.